Hi, and welcome to eTalma 2.0. Um, we still have to finish up 18a, the last little bit, and then we will get to 18b, which begins an entire new topic, an entire new Mishnah. Um, so uh, we have, uh, we have um, our hands full for this session. I'm just um, opening up my Gemara. We're going to start a couple of lines before, before, um, before 18a is finished. Just give it one moment. I'm using my Gemara that is on my iPad, so it's um, going a little bit slow right now. Just give me one more sec and we will begin. Okay, so we're going to start from uh, from the basically the end. Um, and the way it goes, it's basically looking at the last part of the Mishnah, where we talked about... Um, where the Mishnah said, Umutarin behespid vatanis, it's permitted to eulogize and fast on the day of slaughter, right? So meaning if you're um, slaughtering the Shavuos um, Korban, not on Shavuos itself, you're allowed to eulogize and fast on that day. So that you do not uphold the words of those that say that Shavuos always happens the day after Shabbos, it always happens on Sunday. And people would then perhaps see you on Sunday um, not fasting, uh, not fasting and not eulogizing, and think that you are adhering to this. That even though Shavuos officially had fallen out perhaps the day before, you're adhering to Shavuos only falling out on Sunday, which was the Sadducees' claim. And uh, people would think wrongly of that. People would think that that's what you are doing if you don't fast or eulogize on the day after Shavuos on the Sunday on the day of the slaughter for Shavuos. So therefore we say that you are permitted to eulogize and fast so that no one comes to that false conclusion. And now we're going to ask for Hatanya, but didn't we learn in a Alexa Belud. It happened that Alexa passed away in Lod. Though when everybody came, all of the Jews, all of Israel came to eulogize him. And Rabbi Tarfon did not allow them to, to eulogize them. Eulogize him. Because it was the day of Shavuos. It was the actual day of Shavuos at first, is what we think. Now Mar is going to ask, Yom Tov Salkadaitach, does it really enter your mind that it was actually the day of Shavuos, the day of Yom Tov? If it was Yom Tov, every, would, any, would they have actually came? No one thinks that you can actually eulogize on the day of Yom Tov itself. Rather, Ella Yom Rather say that it was the day of the slaughter for Shavuos. Um, they didn't couldn't do the slaughter on Shavuos itself, and um, and Rabbi Tarfon is saying that you're not allowed to eulogize on the day of slaughter. So that would seem to contradict our Mishnah. So our Mishnah, the Gemara answers, Lokasha. It's not a question. Kam Yom Tov Shachalios Achar Shabbos. Kam Yom Tov Shachalios Bishabbos. The Brisa that says. That um, that you're not allowed, or that Rabbi Tarfon stopped people from eulogizing. That was when Yom Tov itself, the actual day of Shavuos, fell out not on Shabbos, and therefore the day of the slaughter was not on Sunday. It was after Sunday, and therefore no one would come to any false conclusions that Shavuos could only fall out on Sunday. Whereas the Mishnah, which says that you could eulogize. That's when Yom Tiv fell out on Shabbos itself. So the day of slaughter ended up being on Sunday. And if we did not allow eulogizing and fasting, people would come to the wrong conclusion that Shavuos could only fall out on Sunday. Okay. 
can only be observed on Sunday. Okay, so that's the end of Yod Chesamad Aleph, the end of 18a. And now we get to a new Mishnah. Uh, this Mishnah begins a new part of Chagiga, the part of Chagiga of the Masechta, the tractate that deals with ritual purity and ritual impurity called Tuma, ritual impurity, and Tahara, which is ritual purity. And now we're going to go through the first Mishnah. We have to rinse our hands before we eat chulin. Chulin is, um, or we're not necessarily even eating right now. Before we involve ourselves with chulin, which is just regular food. Meiser sheni. Meiser sheni is the one-tenth portion separated separated by the farmer from his crop and consumed only in Jerusalem on certain years in the seven-year Shemitah cycle. So you have to wash your hands before involvement with chulin, regular food, Meister Shani food, and for truma, which is the portion of the crop given by the farmer to the Kohen. Ula Kodesh Matbilim. So for those three categories of foods, um, before you involve yourself with those foods, you have to pour water over your hands from a vessel, like the Natilas Yadaim, like the pouring over that we do today. Ula Kodesh Matbilim. But if it's Kodesh food, so it's a sacrifice, you're eating from a sacrifice, then it's not enough to pour water over your hands. You actually have to immerse your hands in the mikvah. Ula Kodesh mat bilin. You have to immerse yourself, your, your hands in the mikvah. Ula Chatas. And before you handle Chatas water, which is an even on a higher level of sanctity than sacrificial offerings, um, what is the Chatas water? That's the water that's mixed with the ashes of the para aduma of the red heifer that affects um, purification from... Um, ritual defilement through uh, touching or coming in contact with a corpse. So if you want to get involve yourself with that, with that, with um, chatas, with this, with this chatas uh, water, then it's a very interesting halacha. If your hands became tame, um, which again is only rabbinic, right? In biblical law, there's no such thing as your just your hands becoming impure. It's either your entire self, your entire body becomes impure, or nothing becomes impure. It's just the rabbis that in some instances, for some levels of food, they they look at your hands as impure in order to make sure that you're just extra careful in handling of those foods. So now what we're saying is though is that the rabbis went one step further, and they said that in a scenario, if your hands became tame, so your hands actually um, became impure rabbinically, then as far as chatas water is concerned, we actually, the rabbis decreed that it's not just your hands that are considered impure, but your entire body is considered impure, and therefore your entire body has to be immersed in a mikvah in order to come in, in order to involve yourself with the chatas water, with the ashes of the paraduma, the red heifer. Okay, that's the first set of rules. Second set of rules. If you immersed yourself to eat chulin, um, and you only had in mind that this purification would allow you to eat chulin, then asr lamaser, then you're still prohibited from eating maaser sheni. If you went to the mikvah in order to um, to involve yourself with maaser sheni, and you only intended to purify yourself in order to come in contact with Meiser Shani, also the Truma, then you're prohibited from eating um, Truma, which is one step above. Tavala Truma, again, now Tavala Truma, Hochsak Truma. If you immersed yourself 
for truma and it only intended to purify yourself for eating truma, asr la kodesh, and you're prohibited from kodesh, from sacrificial offerings. Tava la kodesh, la kodesh. Now, if you if you immerse yourself for in order to be able to have sacrificial offerings, and you only had in mind sacrificial offerings, that you are purifying yourself for sacrificial offerings, and also the chatas, then you're prohibited from handling the chatas water. Um, so that's important. But, if you immerse yourself for involvement with a something of greater sanctity or greater stringency, then, and that's all you had in mind for, then you're permitted to involve yourself with an item of lesser stringency or lesser sanctity. Okay? Now we're going to say, if you immerse yourself without any sort of intention for any purification for anything, so you literally you went into a mikvah, but you only did so uh, maybe with the intention of bathing, it's as if you did not immerse yourself. Okay? Uh, now we're going to talk about another important set of rules when it comes to Tuma and Tahara, purity and impurity. Big day Am Haaretz Midras Lefrushin. The clothing of an Am Haaretz is considered Tame through Medras for Prushim. Now, what is this all about? Okay, so number one, um, there's a certain type of Tuma, which is called Medras, which means to tread upon. And this is the Tuma that's acquired by an object when a Zav. So this is somebody that experienced a Zav or a Nida. So somebody that has experienced specific bodily emissions. Um, they can make something impure by resting their weight on it. And that's called Tumas Medris. And not only can they make something impure like that, but, um, but it actually attains an extremely high level of impurity, which is called an Av Hatuma, um, which is the second highest level of impurity, which can contaminate people and utensils. Okay? Um, so what we're saying now is that the clothing of, of an Am Haaretz, the clothing of somebody that's an ignoramus, somebody that doesn't, doesn't know about um, purity and impurity. So what we're saying is, is that we have to assume that his clothes are the level of a Tumas Medris, um, the impurity of a Medris, which again is an Avha Tuma, a father of Tuma, which is a very high level. You have to assume that it's that level of Tuma, of impurity, if you're a Prushim. If you're a Prushim. Now, what's a Prushim? Um, the, what we're referring to when we say a Prushim are those are people that are careful to eat Chulin, to even eat regular food only in a state of purity. So if somebody is that careful, then we say that um, if they come in contact with the clothing of uh, somebody that's ignorant or doesn't care about purity and impurity for while they are eating just regular foods, then you have to treat it as if you came in contact with something that is the level of a tumas medris, which is a very high level of tuma, of impurity. Okay, but big day frushin medris la Now, the clothing of somebody that's a parush of the prushim, those are the people that are careful to eat. Um, regular food only in a purified state, but their clothing is considered, you have to consider it like Tumas Medris, like this high level of impurity. If you're somebody that is going to be eating Truma, in other words, you're a Kohen who receives Truma as gifts from, the, from, the, from, the, from farmers, from their crops, um, because you need an added, because there's an added degree of of protection that's necessary if you're somebody that eats truma because of the consequences for eating truma um, if you are impure. 
And then we keep going and say, Big day ochle truma medris lakodish, the clothing of those who eat truma. So even though they're very careful because they have to eat truma or they get to eat truma, still their clothing is going to be considered medris for somebody that's eating and kodesh. Big day ochle truma medris lakodesh. Their clothing is going to be considered medris for those that eat sacrificial offerings because there there's even more importance of safeguarding. So you're going to even consider those the clothing of somebody that eats truma to be Tame to be impure. And then we get to the last category, big day Kodesh, Medris Lachatas, the clothing of those who eat Kodesh, who eat sacrificial offerings, that's considered, that's still considered Tame as a Medris. For those who handle Chatas water, because of course that needs the highest level of protection, that's the highest level of stringency and sanctity. Okay, now we're going to just finish up with this Mishnah, um, illustrating the last case. Yosef ben Yoezer Hayachasid Shebekahuna. We talked about Yosef ben Yoezer, who was a chassid of the priesthood, who was one of the most devout of the priesthood. <laughs> Yet, his napkin was considered medris for those who eat kodesh, because he was somebody that ate shum on a regular basis, but not kodesh on a regular basis. And we say that his clothing or his napkins would be considered like um, a medris for those who actually are going to be eating sacrificial food. Um, another example, Yochanan ben Gugda, Hayochal Taharis Hakodesh Koliyamav. Yochanan ben Gugda, he ate his chulen. He only he ate his regular food according to the purification standard necessary to be able to eat sacrificial offerings his entire life. So he never ate anything without being in a state of purity that would allow him to eat kodesh, which is um sanct- uh, sacrificial food, because he wanted to make sure that he never made a mistake. Um, so that, that's what he did. And yet, and yet, his napkin was a medris, lachatas was considered, had to be considered a tumas medris for somebody that was going to be involved with the chatas water that's mixed with the para aduma ashes with the red heifer ashes. Okay. So now we're going to talk a little bit more about this idea. Um, now we're at the Gemara and we're going to talk about the idea that the, that we say that chulin, Regular food, Meister Shani, that's the one that the farmer eats in Jerusalem a couple of years during the seven-year cycle. And Shuma, we said that they all need hand rinsing from a vessel prior to involvement with them. And now the Gemara is going to ask, Do Chulin and Meister Shani really require hand rinsing before you involve yourself with them? Urim Minhi, but look at the following Mishnah in Bikurim. Hatshuma v'habikurim, it says, that will, both when it comes to truma and bikurim, which are the first fruits, chayavin aleihem misa, a non-kohen is um, is um, liable to death for eating them, v'chomesh, and to a penalty of a fifth, he has to repay a fifth if he ate it unintentionally. If he ate it intentionally, then he's going to get death. If he ate it unintentionally, then he has to pay back the the amount that it's worth plus a fifth. V'asur lazarim, they're forbidden to non-kohanim, v'heim nichsei kohen, and they are the property of the Kohen. If they become mixed in with regular food, they become bottle. They become nullified in a mixture of 100 to 1. And you have to wash your hands from a vessel before you involve yourself with them. And if you went to the mikvah that day, um, that's not enough purification necessary you actually have to wait till sundown until you're once again allowed to eat of them 
Hare elu bitshuma ubikorim. These laws apply for truma and bikorim. Mashein kain b'maiser, but it's not true for maiser sheni. And then obviously the cholshe came b'chulin, and then obviously all the more so for chulin, these laws are not the same. Is these laws do not apply? So we see very clearly then that hand rinsing is required for truma and bikurim, but it seems very clear that it's not required for chulin and maiser sheni. So how do we understand our Mishnah that says that it is? It seems that you have. Kasha Maiser Maiser. We have a contradiction between one Mishnah's ruling when it comes to Maiser Shani and the second Mishnah's ruling when it comes to Maiser Shani. One seems to say you have to wash your hands before eating, one says you don't. Kasha Chulan Achulan. We also have a contradiction between one Mishnah and another regarding Chulan. Um, one seems to say you have to rinse before you wash your hands before you involve yourself with them, and one says you don't. So now we're going to say as follows Bishlama Maiser Maiser like Kasha. The, it's not a, as far as the contradiction um, in as far as the contradiction in, between the two missions when it came to Meister Shani, that's not a question. Why? We can say that one Mishnah is in accordance with Rabbi Meir and one Mishnah is in accordance with the Rabbanon, with the rabbis. What does this mean? It's not, because we learned in a Mishnah. Anything that requires Immersion in the water of a mikvah, according to rabbinic law, right? So that means something that's tahar, that is pure, according to biblical law. <coughs> Sorry about that, but it's tame, um, uh, according to rabbinic law. Mitame is a kodesh that can contaminate kodesh, uposel es truma and invalidate truma through for consumption through contact. Umotar lechulin ulemaiser, but it's permitted in regard to chulin and maiser, right? It will not, it will not passel, it will not invalidate your chulin from being able to be eaten, of course, your regular food, or your maiser sheni. Div Rabbi Meir, these are the words of Rabbi Meir. In other words, um, tuma, impurity that's just rabbinic, um, will not have the ability to mess up your regular food or your maiser sheni. Those are the words of Rabbi Meir. V'chachamim osrim b'maiser. And the sages, they say no. They say, yes, it will not invalidate or give you a problem when it comes to your chulin, but it's your regular food, but it will be a problem when it comes to your miser. So we can say that just like they have this argument, Rabmer and the Rabbanon, when it, came, when it comes to rabbinic impurity affecting miser, so too we can say that it's the same, that the two Mishnahs, one that says that you can wash, that you need to wash your hands before miser, and one that says you don't need to wash your hands before Meiser, they could reflect these two different views as to how strict you are with Meiser Shani. One would be Rabbi Meir, who would say that um, you would not have to wash your hands. He's more lenient with Meiser Shani. One would say, and the other one that says you do need to wash your hands, that would be going according to the sages. But we still have our question regarding chulin, regular food. One Mishnah seems to say you'll have to wash your hands before chulin, and one says that you don't. So the Gemara answers as follows. Lo kasha. It's not a question. In our Mishnah, where it says that you have to wash your hands, that's before eating chulin. Whereas the Mishnah in Bikurim that says you don't have to wash your hands, that's just to touch chulin without actually eating it. You only need to wash your hands if you're going to eat the chulin, the regular food. You don't have to if you're just going to touch it. We're much more concerned, we're much more stringent when it comes to actually eating because in general, we're, it's, it's a much, it's a much it, it means that safeguarding from eating versus touching is extremely important. 
Okay, but now we're going to ask Maskifla Rav Shimi Bar Ashi. Rav Shimi Bar Ashi asked on this. Ad kan lo the rabbis, they only argued with Rabbi Meir, they only argued when it came to eating of Meister Shani. Um, so in other words, that's where the rabbis would say that um, you have to wash your hands before eating Meister Shani, and Rameir would say you don't. But the implication is, is that when it comes to touching Meister, and eating chulin lo pligi, no one argues, and everyone agrees you don't need to wash your hands. And if you don't need to wash your hands, we're back to this contradiction between the Mishnahs when it comes to chulin. Do you need to wash your hands or not? So when we need a different way to differentiate between the two Mishnahs. Rather, it must be that both Mishnahs are referring to eating. Now, and how, how then do we reconcile? One Mishnah says you need to wash before eating chulin, and one says you don't need to wash before eating chulin. How do we understand this? So pay very close attention because it's very relevant. In our Mishnah, we require the hand washing. That's before you eat ordinary food, but specifically bread. Whereas in the Mishnah in Bikurim, where you don't need to wash beforehand, before eating, that's not bread, that is just regular produce, but, and it's fruit, it's uh, it's regular, it's just produce, it's produce of Chulin. Like Rav Nachman said, anyone that washes their hands for for fruit, but really anything other than bread, we look at them as if they are haughty in spirit. They're going, they're going above and beyond. <laughs> and it actually is looks arrogant. <laughs> so on this point of washing of our hands before eating, the rabbis If you wash your hands before eating, scaving if you had intention for purification, yadav your hands become pure. Loneskaven, if you do not have intention for your hands to become pure, Yadav Tameos, then your hands are remain impure. And so too is it when somebody immerses their hands in the mikvah. Niskaven, Yadav Taharas, if you had intention to become pure, your hands are pure. Loneskaven, if you do not have intention for purity, then Tameos, your hands are impure. Now we ask on that, Vahatanya, didn't we learn in Abraisa, Maniskaven, Beniskaven, Beloniskaven, Yadav didn't we see in Abraisa that whether you had intention to purify or not, and you washed your hands, your hands are going to be pure. Summer of Nachman, of Nachman answered, Lo Kasha, it's not a question. Kanuchul, in the second price, the one that says that you don't need intention, that's when you're purifying your hands for Chulin. We're on Yotesam et al. 19a, and um, that's where you are washing your hands for Chulin. Kan Lameiser, whereas the Brisa that says that um, intention does make a difference, that's when you are washing your hands before eating Meiser, which is more stringent, more sanctified. Okay, we'll stop here for tonight.